0: Oh, show me the way to go home, I'm tired and I want to go to bed, I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone right to my head, wherever I may roam, on land or sea
1: or foam, you can always hear me sing a song, show me the way to go home. Drinking Drinking, a podcast about drinks trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, O'Leary. What are you drinking and thinking about today?
2: Hello, hello. I've got an espresso martini,
1: Ooh. which
2: I made from scratch, which I'm quite proud of.
1: If I may I'm say, sure. it, it looks tasty, it's foamy, it's dark. It's also... Very bulbous, rather than martini glass.
2: Yes, I don't actually own a martini glass. I've discovered I just have this bulbous glass with a pair of tits on.
1: (laughs) You do, yes. You have just (laughs) just show me your tits on Zoom. Thank you very much. Um, What are you thinking about? Not the
2: first time, not the last time. (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking about agave because instead of vodka. I used the coffee patron in my cocktail. Ah
1: so actually that's got um tequila in it instead of vodka. It is. Does it have not that we do tasting notes, but does it uh, does it taste quite different? Or is the coffee sort of um, overriding it?
2: Yeah. The the coffee's overriding it. There's some there's a bit of a twang something different about it that you wouldn't say tequila. Mm-hmm well
1: delish. we did not specifically coordinate this uh, beyond it being about agave but i am also drinking coffee tequila <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm.
1: i've got something called black fire which is a coffee liqueur made with um tequila blanco and chili
2: oh that sounds nice
1: so despite the fact that you know as we should probably find out flavored tequila is a bit of a no uh, when it comes to native traditions this one is trying to sell itself very much on being an ancient Mexican thing um, because of it having coffee, tequila and chilli, all things that are natively grown there. Um, and they've also called it Black Fire because there's, there's a myth that in ancient Mexico, the gods sent down a lightning bolt to strike the heart of the agave plant and tequila was born. Um, which, you know, is, I, I mean, obviously not just not true. But also, I think probably <laughs> not a native myth either. I think it's a marketing thing. Maybe we'll How get onto some know? of that later.
2: How do you know it's not true? Hmm? Well, were you there? I'll tell were you there?
1: You... <laughs> I was not there. I was not there. I'll tell you in a bit about some of the recorded myths that I have around this. This I could not find a recorded myth that wasn't a bit more modern around the lightning strike. So that's why I'm doubtful.
2: I could make one up if you want.
1: (laughs) I'm sure you'll have your (laughs) opportunity to say all the rubbish you normally say um, at the end, but should we do a bit of history first?
2: (laughs) I might just go get drunk, to be honest, fuck you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, so I know we're going to talk about tequila, um, but I think, yeah, as you say, agave. Let's let's begin with where it comes from and see where that journey Mm -hmm. takes us, first of all. So, agave is a plant that's native to the Americas, mostly the arid regions. You do get some varieties that are in the uh, tropical ones in in South America. Agave itself is a Greek-Latin word meaning noble. This isn't one of the um, terms that was taken from their native language, Nahuatl, because it was um, termed later um, by Carl Linnaeus when he was doing his taxonomy at the end of the 18th century. So, that's why... Agave, sort of this Greek word. Um, most of the species of agave take quite a few years to mature. So some of them can take about 60 years um, to become fully mature, and that's when they flower. And agave plants, when they flower, they do it once and then they die. Which One is. One and
2: done. <laughs>
1: poetic. One and done. One and <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Um, but they, when they decide kind of they're ready, so they've been storing up all their energy in these big spiky leaves, they shoot up this stem and the stems get massive. So they can go up to 12 meters tall, uh, before they have this very big, uh, flower. Obviously it's like so tall to try and, um, keep, uh, predators and, you know, things that want to munch it away from the flower. So kind <laughs> of, because it's spiky and because of the way it looks, a lot of people think it might be a cactus, uh, or an aloe or something like that but they're actually not related um, they are they are distinctly different. They're more closely related to the yucca though but there are lots of different varieties of agave in their own right. The most common one will be called the century plant is another one of its names Do you remember me mm-hmm. mentioning the century plant in another podcast?
2: I don't but I reckon I would have responded with I've done a centurion before <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, you probably did. It was um <laughs> it was the episode on pub sports. Ring any bell?
2: Yeah, pro- I I feel like I definitely said I did it the room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Uh it was dartboards. It's the material oh. that dartboards are made from. Remember we said um it's made with uh, a fiber yeah rather than something like cork, so that cork, it sort of yeah. self-heals. Well, this is the fibre. It comes from the century plant. So it comes from this agave, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. magic. Lots of things were made from the agave plant, um, but particularly to the native cultures. So the leaves are very fibrous, which is why they were good for making those dartboards. But they made, um, they made rope, they made cloth, clothing, all sorts of stuff from that. The spines on the leaves, they would make into needles, um, sowing and other things. The root would be used as food that they would chop up and boil. The stalks, you know, like the big stems that I talked about, um, they've Mm -hmm. actually been made into didgeridoos. Ooh. Which, you know, I think we mostly associate with um, Australian Aborigines, but do exist in other cultures as well. (laughs) And then the leaves would be used as paper. So
2: i grow an agave plant as like a house plant
1: uh it would be quite difficult i think um they're mm. big they're very big um yeah. as i say they like the desert so wales not famous for its yeah, desert like i mean environment
2: you've you've seen my cactus cacti they're <laughs> thriving
1: this, this is true they are, but the cactus, but I say, they're not related. And the cacti you've got there probably actually quite like a humid um, environment. So it wouldn't necessarily match. Mm. I don't know. If you give it a go, I, the only place I know that agave has been successfully transported elsewhere is South Africa. So there are actually some um, British colonists in the 19th century took agave over to South Africa to grow them there. So there's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But they, they mostly use it for making um, sweetener, making syrup rather than uh, distilling it into alcohol as far as I know at the moment. So yeah, it would be a the... little
2: like side hustle. We could just I'll grow the agave, and then you can turn it into sugar and digi reduce. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, deal. Um, <laughs> so as I say, they were used to so many things and they were a major food source source for source. Source for indigenous people. Um, They particularly enjoyed the the agave syrup or the agave nectar, as it's sometimes known. It's the sap that would gather at the base of the young flower stalk. That's where you get the sweetener from. Um, So as the stalk is about to come up, what um, someone who's cultivating this would do is cut the stalk off so that there's more space for the sap to gather. They can gather more. They call it honey water, agua miel. um, And they would kind of keep carving away at it to make sure that the sap keeps filling it. And that's where they would gather it from. Mm -hmm. So now that we've got this sort of sugary nectar drink, of course, anywhere that you have sugars, you're going to get some kind of fermentation and that leads us to our first drink. We are not yet at tequila or a few steps away from it. We're going to begin with pulque. Ever heard of pulque? Mm -hmm.
2: Nope.
1: No, this was brand new to me as well. I'm just going to have a sip of my nothing drink. Mm.
2: I think you've given me that drink before. Not pulque, what you're drinking. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So pulque. Pulque is a Spanish version of the um, Nahuatl word for it, which is metocli. Metocli, it's sort of a corruption of the metocli um, being spoiled. Their word for spoiled in Nahuatl sounds like pulque, which is where Spanish got pulque from. So that's the fermented sap. And it's kind of uh, milky, it's viscous, and it's got a like a sour yeast flavour. Which those words in itself might not sound nice, but if you think of beer, you know, it's it's beery. Sure. It's that kind of fermentation. <clears throat> so the history of that extends into the Mesoamerican period. Uh, and it was probably cultivated as a crop around 200 um, CE. As a wild variety, It was around a lot longer but we have less evidence for that specific crop. But we do know that other crops um, in Mesoamerica were being cultivated like um, cacao, like avocado, like vanilla, like chilli, like tomatoes. They had all the best stuff. Um, And they were being grown as far back as 7,000 BCE. So it's entirely possible that polkae was consumed as like a wild variety as far back as that. It's okay. a sacred drink to them, so it's not just a common recreational one. I guess because of how long it takes for things to mature, it's not as, you know, um, widely available. So it's restricted to certain people and certain occasions. And it only becomes secular, rather than this this holy drink, after the Spanish conquest of Mexico, which happens in okay. around 1520. So the, the century plant, or um, as the Spanish were calling it, uh, mague, was most associated with the goddess Mayuel. And Mayoel, it was thought to be um, her blood, the sap that they were collecting. And there's another story about Mayoel because she's mostly associated with the plant rather than the drink, rather than the pulque. But who is um representing the drink are her children? And they're supposed to represent the effects of fermentation. so they are the senson totoctin, which means four hundred rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> and they are a group of divine rabbits who meet for drunken parties.
2: Oh my God, the yeah. best.
1: The, if you are not familiar with mesoamerican deities i highly recommend a journey they are absolutely wild um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's one association there's another one that i really like there are a few origin stories um this one is that pulque was discovered by tlatlauhuate um and Twat what do you know what i'm going to say that again <laughs>
2: La tla, it's
1: not twat, it's Tla-quatche. Tla twat crotch. Not twat crotch. <laughs> Discovered by tlaquache, who sure. was an opossum. And the, this opossum used, had like, because um, opossums have uh, very dexterous hands, they've got like human hands. And so he used to uh, dig into the plants, into the maguey and extract the naturally fermenting juice. And apparently he became the first drunk as a result. This
2: Is that where Twatted originated?
1: <laughs> no, no. I'm going to say the name Let's again. Let's
2: get Twatted.
1: <laughs> Tlaquatche. Tlaquatche. Not twat. <laughs> so tlaquache was thought to set the course of rivers as an opossum. So the rivers he set were generally straight, except when he was drunk. And then when he was drunk and he was making the rivers, they meandered from cantina to cantina. And so that's the story that uh, goes with it. It's like, if you've got a meandering river, it's because this drunk opossum was just going from bar to bar. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's a great origin a nice story. story. Yeah, this is, this is the reason why I said, I'm not buying this lightning striking the agave plant thing, because... The stories I've just told you are much more familiar territory for uh, the indigenous people of Central America. Mm -hmm. It involves crazy drunken animals, not an act of God, you know?
2: Yeah, it's a bit too... it's more like a Norse story. Yes, exactly,
1: exactly. So there are references to um, Polke in the Great Pyramid of Cholula, you know, there are lots of great temples, uh, like pyramids um, in Mesoamerica. Its construction began in the 3rd century BCE. So that's how we know that at least then people were making pork because they had diagrams of making it. Um, it was often used at that time during sacrifice rituals. And so both the priests would have it to calm their nerves, and also the victims of the sacrifices would have it to numb their pain. Again, I don't know how much you know about this culture, but the sacrifices are brutal. There is so much human sacrifice. There is uh, a lot of baby massacres and all sorts of crazy blood enjoyment. So that's what it was reserved for. It's like, let's save it for that special occasion. Except there were some commoners who were allowed to drink it. So the elderly and pregnant women... (laughs) (laughs)
2: makes total sense (laughs) yeah
1: women were actually excluded from drinking pulque like right into the 20th century um but the reason i think that pregnant women particularly um you know throughout history allowed it is because it's so nutritious Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um there is i
2: guess that there's the link with pregnant women
1: yes Yeah, exactly. In much the way that in the 70s doctors told uh, pregnant women they could drink stout because it had lots of iron. It's their version of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so production of Paul was also very ritualised. The brewers of it were very superstitious. They would abstain from sex during the fermentation period because they believed that sexual intercourse would sour the process.
2: Brilliant. That yeah. is commitment,
1: <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? A lot of, there's a lot of secrecy around um, the fermentation and brewing of these. I've, I've found they're very sort of family secret recipes. I mean, I suppose they when you think about the lengths at which people had to go to, to do this, so I say the plant needs about 12 years to mature before the miel or the sap can be extracted. Um, but once they do start that process, it can produce for up to a year. So okay. you, can, you can drink the Aguamera straight um, if you want, but it's not alcoholic until it's gone through the fermentation process. It can start in the plant itself, uh, but most often it's extracted and then fermented elsewhere. So what they do is they, they collect this liquid twice a day from the plant, and they get about five or six litres out of it per day. So even though you have to mm-hmm. wait a long time, once it starts yielding, it yields quite a lot. Um, And they would collect it with um, like a gourd that was hollowed out or they'd use a a tube to suck the juice out. Um, (laughs) And then between uh, sessions of of getting the sap out, what they do is they take the leaves and they bend them over uh, that well so that it protects it from bugs and dirt and stuff getting in it. So they scrape the centre out to keep the plant producing um, and they'll do that maybe for about four to six months before the plant has finally had it. And it's like, I can give you no more. I'm out. But that means you get about 600 litres of pulque out of a plant. Which is pretty good.
2: Can I... I, I need to grow one.
1: Mmm.
2: <laughs> Got a lot then, of growing to do after this podcast.
1: Yeah. And then we'll pick this up, <laughs> conversation up again in 12 years. Should I? Should I pause now or...? <laughs> uh, so um they place the the juice in fermentation vats and what they'll often do is is give it a bit of its old starter to jump start the process uh you know how right. when we did our yeast episode we were like everything needs yeast to ferment well this one doesn't because mm-hmm. it uses a, a bacterium instead of yeast. That sounds
2: uh, much tastier.
1: Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Zymomonas mobilis, should you wish to know. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's that's what they use um, for, that's the kind of the naturally occurring fermentation rather than yeast. Takes about 7 to 14 days and, um, you know, it could be really affected by all sorts of different things, temperature and humidity. It goes sour really easily. Apparently, so that's why all the the um, fermenting of it is a secret to the people that do it because they've got all their tips and tricks.
2: It still blows my mind that people spent the time to to be able to create something like this. And mm. can you imagine like doing this but not actually knowing what you were doing and what the outcome was and how meticulous it must have been and how many kind of trial and errors you must have had? It's just crazy.
1: Yeah, and this one in particular sounds pretty temperamental. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we know that like a lot of, in in this country, for example, a lot of fruit, if you leave it, it would just ferment. Like you don't have to put mm-hmm. a lot of work into it to get something drinkable. But it sounds like this one would really tip over quite easily. So they had so many rituals. They would sing religious songs and offer prayers. Um, I say women and children were not allowed inside the, um, in the brewing area. Uh, you also can't eat canned fish uh this is this is today obviously this isn't <laughs> 200 bc they <laughs> were walking around with canned fish uh you also <laughs> cannot wear a hat inside the brewing place which is called a tinacal uh, what even if, now no even now it's considered bad luck if someone okay. wears a hat to cleanse the bad luck the offender has to fill the hat with pork and drink it down
2: Oh well, I know what I'm doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels like it was made up by someone who wanted to do that. Yeah,
2: this is definitely marketing again. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Marketing has a lot to answer for in this in this field. I have discovered. <laughs> mm. So, following the Spanish conquest, as I say, it loses its sacred meaning, and they open up lots of pulquerias, which is you know a bar where you can go and drink pulque. And initially, the Spanish saw this as as just a big tax opportunity. They're like, hooray, we're not allowed to. They were actually forbidden by uh, the king to kind of create wine and um, uh, from grapes and other things there and brandy. So they were like, how can we create something else that we can tax? So they thought, oh, let's do that. It was because it was seen as a threat to Spain's allies and kind of domestic producers. They didn't want to have a a domestic threat there. So anyway, Spain initially saw it as a good thing. But then they were like, uh, "Okay, now we've opened this up and everyone can drink it. And it's not sacred anymore. People are getting too drunk and rowdy. So now we're going to restrict it again. So they passed a law that there could only be 36 Pulquerias in Mexico City and they said they had to be completely open, they weren't allowed to have any doors, they had to close at sundown, there was no food, no music, no dancing, no mixing of sexes. Um, but they kept they kept flipping between it depending on whether they needed tax money or not, I think, but they were trying to balance it against keeping them under control and sober.
2: Sounds a lot like the pandemic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? It's exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, so it re-emerged anyway as being important for taxation when we get to a Mexican independence uh, from Spain. At that point, they go, great, let's open them all up again, let's tax it. That actually becomes the fourth largest source of income for Mexico during their independence. So it's really crucial in them being able to gain that back. Um, and then it moves from being this home brewing thing to commercially produced by the end of the 17th century, particularly because of the influence of Jesuit priests. They were setting up breweries to fund their educational institutes. And then it reaches its peak of popularity in the 19th century. There were 300 pulque haciendas. Uh, A hacienda is like a, well, it could be a plantation. It could be a mine in this case, obviously it's a plantation. Um, And in particular that made the, the area of Hidalgo very wealthy. ...because there was a direct train between there and Mexico City... ...which they called the pulque line. So they would grow lots of pulque there and then ship it off. Mm. So it is still consumed in Mexico. More in rural areas though. Not as popular. It's now seen as a very lower class drink. Which is... It's funny the difference a few hundred years makes. Uh, It goes from being sacred to a drink for the lower classes... And that's largely because of the influx of European beer in the 20th century. Um, Mm -hmm. European beer producers came over. They actively campaigned against polquet. Um, One of their key arguments was that polquet was unhygienic and that the modern processes for beer were hygienic. And they used the example that uh, polka makers were using a special way to accelerate the fermentation process. And that special way was to drop um, a cloth bag with human faeces into it. Ooh. Yeah.
2: I suddenly do not want any bugging.
1: Yeah. So that was their propaganda. And I'd like to say that it was completely untrue. But apparently there are some examples of where that did happen. They were using... Human bacteria and yeasts to uh, accelerate fermentation. Not widely spread. Not widely spread. But I can't completely say they made it up.
2: Oh no. <laughs> um,
1: another thing. Imagine,
2: imagine having to drink a hat full of that as well.
1: Mm. Fresh, <laughs> fresh poop. Polka. Um, it makes a change for me to bring toilets into this, though, rather than you. So, I'd offer you that. <laughs> thanks uh, the other thing though that hastens its decline is that pork is isn't very transportable so it spoils really quickly and that's also exacerbated by movement so trying to move it across the country and even you know something like thinking about exporting it's just a no although oh,
2: yeah. if you can have a big pot full of poop it's not going to smell fresh after a long journey
1: it's not um <laughs> Although there is there is a movement to try and solve for that now. People are coming up with ways. I mean, they've tried canning it, for example, which does help with the freshness, but does change the flavour slightly. But a lot of young Mexicans are now trying to revive it um, with better storage systems and also a wider variety of flavours. One of the routes they've gone down to repopularize it is, as I said, it is very nutritious. So it's got all of your... Vitamin B complex, vitamin C, D, E, amino acids, iron, phosphorus, all the minerals. It's very good for you. So what they've tried to do is market it specifically as a health drink, like a low-alcohol <laughs> version health drink.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's actually similarly to um, that. I noticed BrewDog's current marketing campaign for their seltzers, um is the same as well. Where it's low-calorie and it's slightly alcoholic, and they've gone for the tongue-in-cheek approach because, you know, trading standards won't allow them to market it as a health drink. Um, but it's pretty healthy in their eyes. So their marketing campaign, all the billboards and the ads, it just says, this is not a health drink. And then the small print says, you know, although it's only X amount of calories and contains X, Y, Z, we're not allowed to call this a health drink, but it's low calorie. joy.
1: yeah well yeah it depends what your definition of health is right i mean they're marketing it on the on that it has stuff in it it has it has nutrients as opposed to it has no calories it has nothing in it which isn't i don't know i think it depends Mm. on how you define healthy really um so that's porkay for you would you fancy a go of that if you're over in mexico
2: I was the I was completely with you until the bag of shit happened.
1: Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs>
2: no, nah, it's it's I can't get it's that head right. sauce. So, yeah. I definitely
1: would. I definitely would. I would like to try it, even even with that history in mind. I very nearly went to Mexico, but I didn't make it to Mexico. It's not a great story, but um. <laughs> thanks for that Uh, yeah I really wanted to go it was I'll tell you what it was the final days of working in this um, mythical company known as Microsoft and anytime they sent me over to the US rather than just like go to the office in America and then come back a few days later I would take holiday at the end of when I needed to be there and then go somewhere else in America Mm -hmm. just to make Mm -hmm. you know the most of it and I'd done a few places, and I had to go out to California. I'm trying to think where. Somewhere near... Somewhere. And, um... <laughs> somewhere near somewhere. It's,
2: I'm gripped by this story. Yeah, Carry I know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> I told
1: you, it's a great story. Anyway, I was like, well, I've, I've done enough of America. I know. I should take the opportunity to hop down to Mexico, because it's much easier, you know, to go from there and cheaper. So I was... I was literally a day or two away from booking my flight, like personally paid, not not company paid, to go from California down to Mexico. And then we all got made redundant.
2: Oh, was it then? Oh, it was
1: literally then. So I was like, oh, oh well, I'm, at least I'm glad I didn't book that flight. And then I just had a random flight from California to Mexico, but no way to get there.
2: Actually it's really funny that it happened on what would have been the day of your holiday because I got the same news about my redundancy there the day I came back from holiday. Mm. I'd had a lovely two week holiday and then I came back and, you know, showing off my new tan, good mood, sworn in round the office. Oh by the way, you're redundant. <laughs> was like, oh, was okay. it
1: Was that anything to do with the way you were showing off your tan? <laughs> <laughs>
2: It might have been. I was gloved in so much. They were like, I'll oh, just get rid of her. I was, it's I was also thinking annoying more about though.
1: the coverage issue.
2: <laughs> I only get them out on Zoom. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. But it was annoying. They could have told me sooner and I could have just stayed on holiday for an extra few weeks.
1: Yeah. Timing sucked, yeah. didn't it? Yes. Um, all right. Shall I tell you about the next evolution of agave beverage?
2: Yes, please. I'm well and truly over the bag of poop with hat.
1: OK, sorry about that. Maybe I should have left that bit out. Anyway, we're on, to, um, we're on to mezcal. So, again, mezcal is a Spanish word that's been taken from the native Nahuatl. Um, mexcali, which means oven-cooked agave. Now, we don't know if this was produced before the Spanish conquest, because mezcal is distilled and we don't have any evidence that indigenous people knew about distillation, as opposed to pulque, which is fermented. Another reason why I mistrust the lightning strike of the agave story, because that's not how distillation works. Anyway, um, the Spanish did know about distillation, They'd known about it since the 8th century, and they'd been using it to drink hard liquor, particularly brandy from Spain. And they brought a lot of brandy with them from Europe. Uh, But when that ran out, they were looking for a substitute. And they'd been introduced to porqué already by that point, um, and other drinks based on, on agave. So they began experimenting to find a way to make an alcoholic product from agave with a higher alcohol content, and that resulted in mezcal. So I said it's called oven-cooked agave. So the process begins by harvesting the plants, which, as I said, are massive. They can weigh over 40 kilograms each. And then you cut off the plant's leaves and roots, and you're left with the heart, or the piña. And the piñas are cooked for about three days, often in pit ovens, uh, which are these earthen mounds over uh, pits of hot rocks. And then this underground roasting is what gives mezcal its really distinct smoky flavour. And then they are crushed and mashed, traditionally by a, a stone wheel, and then those are left to ferment in large vats or barrels with water added. So it becomes quite a familiar process after that, after they've created the mash mash is left to ferment, the resulting liquid gets collected and then it's distilled, either in clay or copper pots. Um, And it's distilled twice, so that increases the alcohol content. The first time it will come out about 375 but um, uh, mezcal likes to go up to about 55%. Most of them are left at that, but sometimes with mezcal they do put in additional flavourings So they can add stuff at any stage, like fruit and spices, and even poultry. I have discovered is quite common: chicken, turkey, etc. Which is pretty great. Um, So mezcal (laughs) to me. Uh, Mezcal has been.
2: I'd still rather that than the bag of shit. I'm I'm torn. (laughs) I'm torn. If you ask me
1: to (laughs) choose, I don't know. Uh, um so mezcal has been a uh, appellation of origin since 1994 you know it means that mezcal can only come from that specific those specific regions in mexico it's very protected See,
2: that comes up so often in our podcast and mm-hmm. i ignorantly thought it was always just like champagne that was kind mm. of in that ruling of can only be called this if it's from this region. I didn't realize how often that was a rule.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. It does come up a lot. It makes sense for um, you know, governments that want to make money from intellectual property. Essentially, um, they can make more money by doing it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so that that's why. But in this example, it isn't without controversy as well because you have to pay to be properly certified, and uh, then be an official distributor, which is really expensive for small producers. So a lot of small producers, even if they're within the typical region, they find they've been priced out of officially being a Mezcal. It's actually one of the reasons why you've got to be slightly um, dubious about Fair Trade, for example, the Fair Trade label, just to go off on a tangent. (laughs) Um, it's expensive you have to you have to pay to be certified to be fair trade and so there are small producers who are you know working on their own terms and you know perfectly organically and whatever else and could be asking for fair prices who wouldn't be certified as fair trade fair trade doesn't necessarily mean that someone who isn't fair trade isn't you Mm -hmm. know what I mean
2: Uh, there's so many of these accreditations that don't mean the paper that they're written on Um, yeah I won't go into it but obviously as you know I work in the beverage industry and I know all too well how easy it is to essentially buy these accreditations.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It annoys me. So it, it tends to be that these designated area things are more for the benefit of governments and taxation and so forth than individual producers often. um, They can still sell but they have to be labelled as agave spirits. So particularly in the US. Um, you will find a lot of people selling as agave because agave grows in the US, but they can't call it mezcal. Mm -hmm. So they'll sell as uh, agave spirits. Mm -hmm. I had some very delicious um, agave spirits when I was in LA, uh, a time when I did go over before redundancy. Uh, I went to this restaurant that was, it was very LA. It was all vegan and organic and locally grown and all that business. Um, did
2: you have to say what you were grateful for before they served you? Have <laughs> you <best> like that?
1: <laughs> no, you told us about that one on the podcast. Oh,
2: um, did I? Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you told us about that. I, I, I didn't. Um, but I had, I had some really delicious food. But then um, I just asked the barman, "Oh, what do you recommend to drink?" Anyway, it turns out that the barman that night was the owner of the place, and he was like, "Actually, we make our own, uh, we make our own mezcal." You know, from agave that we've grown, if you want to try that. And it was the most delicious thing. Uh, mm. The freshness clearly made a difference. But yeah, nice. a good time. Good time at that place. Um, I feel like we've arrived at the tequila moment.
2: The big tea word.
1: The big tea. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. I want so, some of the big tea. What's the want? tea? What is the tea? Um, So, first of all, I've already told you quite a lot about it because tequila is a mezcal. Mm -hmm. Mezcal is not tequila, but tequila is a mezcal because um, it's a mezcal made specifically from the blue agave and primarily from around the city of Tequila. So, tequila is named after a region, Uh, but tequila is still a Nahuatl word. Which means place of tribute. And around 300 million plants are harvested there each year, mm-hmm. which is a lot. So the highland variety of it is sweeter, and then the lowlands are more herbaceous. That's kind of like the difference in the terroir, if you like, of, of the flavours mm-hmm. through the plant, even though they're the same plant. It's like wine. Yeah. You use the same vine, yeah. but if grown in different places, it tastes different. Uh, Mm -hmm. And also, that region has been a UNESCO World Heritage site since 2006, which is good. Our tequila is safe. Uh, (laughs) More or less, apart from blights, it's pretty safe. Um, But actually, as I said, like, governments like to make money off intellectual property. So the Mexican government did claim tequila as intellectual property as far back as 1974. So that's even before the region was uh, claimed as trademark. The... First tequila factory comes in the 17th century from Don Pedro Sanchez to Taegla. I think I've said Taegla <laughs> wrong. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Taegla. It
2: sounded very Italian, yeah.
1: It did, and it's Spanish. <laughs> Got to forgive me. I know I know more Italian than I know Spanish, and it very easily just slips into that. And Don Pedro, <laughs> you know Don Pedro. So he's of course. A, yeah. He's a Spanish aristocrat. Although the first license to commercially make it came in 1800, King Carlos IV gave it to the Cuervo family. So I just mentioned that because you will know those names from buying mass produced tequila, Don Pedro and Jose Cuervo. So they were Mm -hmm. two of the uh, first kind of big scale producers. Um, You will be pleased to know, I think, that uh, same as the other Mezcals, tequila does in fact use yeast in its fermentation. Mm-hmm. Because the Spanish had brought it over. They don't rely on the old bacteria or that poop. <laughs> <laughs> um when uh when the are being chopped off so you can get to the, the pina, um it's they use a machete, a traditional machete called a coa. And mm-hmm. the people who use those machetes are himadores. So you might have also heard of himador as a as a brand for tequila as well. Those are the people who are responsible for for farming and taking care of the agaves. As I say, they kind of like, they have to really look out for you know blight and when maturity happens and cut the stems off when it's ready to harvest and do it twice a day. So it's very labour intensive yeah. um, and very highly skilled as well because of everything they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um the different types of tequila, so you've got blanco, white, uh, or plata, silver. Um, And that's the white spirit, it's unaged, Um, so it's uh, bottled and stored immediately after distillation, Um, or it's aged for fewer than two months in um, barrels, either stainless steel or or a neutral oak one. Then you've got, so with those ones you'll mostly get kind of just the flavour of the agave. And then you've got reposado, which means rested, and again that's, it's a minimum of two months, but less than a year in oak barrels. And then beyond a year, you've got Añejo, which is aged or vintage. And that's between one year, um, but less than three years. Again, aged in oak barrels. And it has to be small oak barrels for the Añejo. The Reposado can be any size. And then in 2006, they launched Extra Añejo, uh, Extra Aged. Um, which mm-hmm. is a minimum of 3 years in oak barrels and then okay. longer mm-hmm. so with uh, with um 100% agave tequila the um yeah. the, the blanco or plata variety is going to be harsher um it's got like these these bold distilled agave flavors the reposado and the añejo are going to be smoother it takes um some of the harshness out and with other the same as other spirits really that are aged in Casks, it, it's going to take on the flavor of the wood. Um, Blanco tequila is considered the healthiest and
2: <laughs> nutritious again.
1: I know, back to nutrition, but but in all seriousness, <laughs> um, a lot of people with type 2 diabetes will often opt for Blanco tequila, and that's because of the sugars. So, mm-hmm. the 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 sugar in it is um, agavin. And garvin is not um, digestible by us. It actually helps lower blood sugar levels. And it also take, uh, contains inulin. And inulin helps you digest food. So, you know, as I say, it's not... I wouldn't call it healthy because it's not... Those aren't specific aspects of nutrition. But yeah. what it can do is um, prevent you from having blood sugar spikes and also help you digest your food better. So there you go perfect. Mm. A little
2: after dinner drinky.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um tequila is highly regulated against additives. So you might say, you know, like uh, what I just went through in the different types and having 100% agave has to be clearly labeled, you know, where it's come from and everything. If you have mixed, it has to be at least 80% agave. They can put some grain in it for the mixed versions. Um but yeah, it's 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 really highly regulated and monitored. They take it very seriously, which is why, (laughs) if I said to you, have you heard of the um, worm you can get in tequila bottles, what would you say?
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I've seen it, but it's, you know, it's never in the big commercial ones. It's always like someone's come back from Mexico with a worm in a bottle of tequila and it's like, oh, how Mexican.
1: Yeah. So so
2: it's either super duper Mexican and traditional. You can only get it over there or mm-hmm. it's just a load of crap that they sell to tourists.
1: <laughs> it's the second one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, you will never find you will never find a worm in tequila um, because you can't add anything to it by law. Right, You may find it in mezcal. So there are Mm -hmm. some mezcals that have worms in them, but it will not be tequila. But we just, because we're not that familiar with mezcal over here, we just conflate the two. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of the worm in the bottle, though, that there have been different stories about it, like it comes from the plant or it's to prove the purity Mm -hmm. of the tequila. It actually was created as a marketing ploy in 1940s
2: of course the bloody marketeers
1: yeah so it gets added to some bottles like right at the at the end of the bottling stage the the worm is actually a larva it's the larva of the hypoptera garvis, which is a moth that is parasitic to the plant so the irony is if you did find these larvae or these moths around your plant you'd have to burn it because it would be spoiled it wouldn't taste good you'd have an infestation (laughs) So the idea that in any way it's a sign of quality is just completely backwards.
2: Ugh. I've heard that it's like, some people think it's hallucinogenic if you have the worm.
1: Yeah, that's that's the original 1940s marketing ploy is actually that it had magical properties or it was uh, hallucinogenic. <laughs> so that's where that comes from. But no, it's obviously all rubbish. And then sometimes as well, you get scorpions uh, in them as well. But again, same thing, marketing ploy, um, you, wouldn't, mm-hmm. you wouldn't really get it anywhere else. It's pretty stupid some pretty stupid of course but there you go that's that's drinks marketing for you um they're all a bunch of weirdos
2: (laughs) I feel personally attacked (laughs)
1: yeah yeah. it was oh it was a personal attack don't don't misunderstand that
2: oh thanks that's strike two tonight
1: (laughs) so there you go that's what we can't put in tequila what can we do with it over to you
2: put it in my face
1: (laughs) and thanks for your section (laughs) Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and so our drinks have run dry. <laughs>
2: um, no, let's talk about how we drink tequila. Mm-hmm. How do you drink yours? I know, but I'm just asking.
1: Oh. Um, for, the,
2: for, the, for the listeners. Well,
1: these days I am definitely a sipper. I mm-hmm. mostly... Would like to have a good tequila and sip it. I will mix it with other things in cocktails. Love a margarita. I love a lagerita. I think I had one a couple of episodes ago um, mm. where you put a bit of tequila with a, just a basic lager and then a bit of salt and lime. That is delicious. Um, and I believe they actually do drink that in Mexico as well. So it's not too sacrilegious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those, those are the ways I do it. How I started drinking tequila, probably like everyone else in this country, was, uh, you know, you go to university, someone gets a round in, you have to, you know, knock back a shot of something that tastes disgusting. And I presumed for probably about 15 years of my life that tequila, I hated tequila. Until Same. one day, I don't remember when it was, I tried something proper and was like, that, that's delicious. I think that's yeah. true of almost every alcohol though, right? You always start in something <laughs> nasty and then you have to... Your taste changes, they mature. You have to learn what you actually like.
2: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Most people, even now, still just tend to do tequila as a shot, um, which is not how it's traditionally drunk. Um, so in Mexico, they do drink it neat, um, but not with it kind of in one, not with lime or salt. So... Um, they just, like like you would enjoy a whiskey, they just enjoy sipping it. Uh, sometimes, in some regions, they um, they serve it with a sangrita, mm-hmm. which uh, is a sweet, sour, and spicy drink. Uh, it's made with orange juice, grenadine, tomato juice, and hot chili. Um, so that comes in a small glass as well. So you'd have two short glasses, um, and you just sip them alternately which i like the idea of i like that spice i'm not um i'm not as big a tequila fan as you but i think i could t- sit and sip it with the sangrita alternating sounds mm-hmm. tasty to me um and then in uh, other regions they have um they serve tequila um i don't know if you've heard of this the bandera mm. so the bandera drinks
1: yes tell me um,
2: so bandera is the spanish name for flag and so this is a way of serving uh tequila uh it's named after the flag of mexico oh i and... thought it was
1: going to be named after antonio banderas
2: or <laughs> <Well>, if only <laughs> <laughs> um but this one is three shot glasses and the first one is just lime juice and then you've got your white tequila and then you've got your sanguita so you've got the red white and the green um, and those are sipped
1: so that's the Mexican flag
2: yes, named after the flag of Mexico yeah uh, so yeah, the lime white tequila sangrita so that sounds, sounds delicious as well yep. um, so then we come to the whole drinking it with salt and lime so it's pretty much done outside of Mexico they don't like to drink it with salt and lime did I say sugar and lime? Salt and lime?
1: No, salt and lime.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going mad. Uh, yeah, so that is uh, known in in, te- in Mexico when they hear of people drinking it with salt and lime, they call it uh, tequila cruda or training wheels.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, which pretty much just some, says it all. Just some foreign shade. <laughs> yes. Noob. <laughs> it's basically called uh, noobs, and... isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, like heathens. They've got their training wheels, salt and lime. Uh, and then you've got more descriptive kind of names for it, which are gross. lip, sip and suck. Lick, shoot and suck. Which kind of does what it says on the tin, really. You've got your lime and your salt. And you lick your hand, put the salt on it, suck it, shot, whack the lime in. Now, The reason behind it, uh, it's believed that salt uh, lessens the burn of the tequila. And the the fruit, the lime, enhances the flavours. But I've never, ever enjoyed it, ever. It's just, licking salt is not pleasant anyway. And then you whack tequila in it, and it's just, it's just no. I've never, ever enjoyed it. And that's probably why, like you, I thought I hated tequila. Because yeah. it was just a nasty taste, and then followed by tequila, and then followed by a lime, which was too sour and
1: ugh. also we've both worked in bars right it's the most annoying Mm. thing to be surfing yeah when someone's like can I have a round of um, tequila lime and salt and you have to like go into the little lunch boxes and you know like that you put on the tables <laughs> yeah. and get out the old salt shakers and then you try and balance everything on a plate or something and it just wouldn't work yeah. it was so annoying
2: <laughs> i remember when i worked in um our student bar i insisted on having salt sachets and just telling them to like go away from the bar and do them because i just couldn't deal with the arse ache of pissed people spilling salt all over my bar standing there mm. for ages it's just no and also i've actually had once I remember a guy doing a tequila slammer and then throwing up on the bar as oh, well mate. so not <laughs> not a fan
1: I thought I so was I just gonna put said... the only gross reference in today <laughs> I, like, I offered it so that you didn't have to but you still went there
2: <laughs> it actually slipped out there when I said it tequila slammer so we all call those tequila slammers but that's not yes. actually what they are right Uh, so a tequila slammer is actually just tequila and a carbonated soft drink it's essentially just a tequila and a mixer that's a tequila slammer um yeah right which is something i didn't know until i researched for this
1: i suppose it makes sense because what's the point in slamming down something that is only one liquid like Mm -hmm. you're not mixing anything Whereas yeah. if you have a mixer in it, the point presumably is when you slam it down, you're mixing the drink.
2: Exactly. So a tequila slammer is just tequila and a uh, mixer. <laughs> and yet, so Not. many
1: people do that. Again, I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're just uncovering how culturally unacceptable it is to do this. But the, yeah, um, yeah, so many people will get just a shot of tequila and then slam it, and there's no mm-hmm. point. Exactly. Have you, by the way, have um, you? Have anyone you ever witnessed...
2: Mexican in the room? Sorry, carry
1: on. I was just saying, have you ever witnessed anyone, like, put that through their hand? No. I have.
2: Oh, my God. I thought someone throwing up on the bar was bad. I don't think I'd be able to cope Oh, no, 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 no.
1: I've, I've seen someone slam a shot glass of tequila and the <gasps> shot glass to just oh. smash into their hand. It was very oh, messy. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So don't... I say just don't do that for so many reasons. Just don't do it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Stop doing shots of tequila, everyone, please.
1: <laughs> just have a just have um, a sit down and a nice sip.
2: Well <laughs> one one thing I did uncover in my research that sounded quite nice. Um in Germany and some other countries, um instead of the whole tequila, salt, and lime, they serve um a gold tequila with cinnamon and orange, which I really like the sound of.
1: Ah, right. Um, that does sound lovely, actually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like trust trust the Germans to do something with spiced orange. That's very much their vibe. By the way, gold tequila. I don't think I mentioned, but um, mm. gold tequila isn't necessarily aged. So you know how the ones that look golden, the the añejo and the reposado, are look golden because they've um, leached from the barrels, mm-hmm. uh, from you know they're either the whiskey or wine barrels. Some gold tequilas, as they are labelled, are sold, are actually uh, white tequilas with colouring in. Just Mm -hmm. so you're aware, if you ever buy a gold tequila, don't think it means aged. It might have just been coloured. If you want a proper aged one, look for Añejo or Reposado.
2: Well, it's funny you mention that because um, a lot of the research that I was doing, it led me towards articles about how to drink tequila and enjoy it. (laughs) Because obviously Mm -hmm. most people think tequila's gross and that's because they're drinking it with salt and lime and it's cheap tequila. Um, And yeah, that's the general advice that they give is um, try and buy the oldest tequila you can afford is the guidance I had. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, find a good aged tequila and again, 100% agave, um, good quality stuff. And it should be more pleasant to sip that than stuff that you usually get in whatever spoons with your lime. <laughs> <laughs> um but if you really don't want to try sipping it, I did find a suggested pour that sounds delicious. Um it was a suggested swap for a GT. Um it's called a paloma. Don't know if you found that on your travels.
1: Well I know that paloma means dove or pigeon in Spanish. <laughs> So is it um is it like (laughs) (laughs) is it um a pigeon brings you tequila like it's it's had it tied to it like a messenger pigeon it comes to your table Mm -hmm. and then you have to unstrap it.
2: You've gone way too far down the marketing road there. All right, sorry. (laughs) None of that. Okay. You were slagging us off earlier, and now (laughs)
1: listen.
2: Uh, no, it's quite simple. It's tequila and a grapefruit soda instead of a gin and tonic.
1: Well, what's that Sounds got to delicious. do with what's that got to do with pigeons?
2: I don't know. I, I don't know. Tweet about it if you're that mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, so I was just going to finish off uh, talking about some lovely places in London where you and I have had some tasty tequila. Oh, and Please do. Not Places that I've not been to that I'd like to go to. Uh, first up is our favourite, one of, Oaxaca.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Now that might yes. that might seem a bit middle of the road to people to say go to a big chain restaurant, but mm-hmm. I think it's a great shout because well you tell them this is your segment.
2: Well, yeah, I mean I didn't have the full on tequila experience until I went there with you. I'd been there a lot uh when I was younger and they used to do a really good happy hour and really good cocktails. They used to do like hibiscus margaritas and just really tasty cocktails. Mm. Um but yeah it was not till we went together. <laughs> May I add, on like a Saturday afternoon.
1: <laughs> it was lunchtime, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> and we I'm pretty sure we didn't even have food. They asked us like, you know, what do you want? We <laughs> just, just, just we're just here for the tequila. Uh and yeah, on the menu, it's not just me being over dramatic, it is actually called the tequila experience. Mm. Um and it's like a little paddle board with four, maybe five shot glasses. Yeah, it's four um, I think. Yeah. And I think it is it's like a white tequila, a silver tequila, an aged tequila. And then I guess is it a sangrita or is it just a grenadine? Yeah. There's there's you one a... like soft drink.
1: You get a sangrita with it. Yeah.
2: Okay. I think, in hindsight, before I researched this podcast, I obviously didn't know about sangrita, and I said earlier how much I think I'd enjoy that. Whereas, like the heathen that I am, I think I went to Oaxaca and quickly realised that that was an alcoholic and just left it.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> I think you slagged it off for being salad at the time. <laughs> well, like, I, don't, I, don't want that. I don't want salad with my tequila.
2: <laughs> i mean for the tequila take that away
1: yeah. but it is so good...
2: sorry sorry what <laughs> yeah
1: it's a good entry level though i think to like taste the difference between um what is a what is a white tequila and what is an aged tequila but also mm-hmm. they do have a pretty good menu of stuff like they've got quite a lot of añejos, um so yeah. you can you can go there and experiment with a few different ones and try and find what your area is before you actually shell out on a more expensive bottle
2: mm. I need to go back there and do it properly with the sangrita instead of <laughs> throwing it in the bin <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up Cafe mm-hmm. Pacifico have you been there?
1: I don't think so
2: I think it's somewhere around Carnaby Street um, uh, so it, I, I liked it because it describes itself as deliberately tacky I'm um, there mm-hmm. But they also have some delicious sounding cocktails, pomegranate margaritas. Um, I think there was a coconut margaritas as well, like lots of really tasty margaritas. Um, but they offer them in pitchers, which to me says more than enough about the kind of bar it is. And I'm a bear. <laughs> sure,
1: yeah. So that's they are, on my list. They are sociable experiences, though. They are sociable drinks, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, tequila Mm -hmm. cocktails they work well for drinking them together and also I think it goes best as you said with fruits that are really quite acidic so like grapefruit and pomegranate and things like that Mm -hmm. it just matches really nicely to it
2: Um, and then I found a place called the pink chihuahua um, which sounds incredible so they've got a really extensive selection of tequila and mezcals, over 300 bottles, according to their website. Oh, wow. um, they also have a really good Mexican food menu. Um, so we will 100%, 100% go in there when we can. But um, they were quite proud about it on their website. They said, you know, we've been open to the public throughout the pandemic, um, serving food and drink through our little hatch since mm-hmm. May. Um, And more recently, they've opened uh, a bottle shop, so you can order tequilas and mezcals, but they've also been bottling up their famous cocktails. Uh, They offer national delivery. I'm not getting paid for this, I just (laughs) saw it and I thought, wow, this is brilliant. Um, But yeah, you can order tequila, mezcals or cocktails, and they do national delivery, next day delivery for anywhere in the UK. Or if you're in London, you can get it within the hour. Oh wow! So yeah. If I'd have ordered before
1: we started this episode, I could have had it by the end of it.
2: Oh, I should have told you.
1: I know you should have gone first. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'll let you off. How has um, <laughs> access to your hatch been during the pandemic?
2: Uh, it's been getting harder as it goes on, to be honest.
1: Right. Just. Mine's just been fully <laughs> closed. No, no <laughs> opening hours, no opening hours at all. <laughs> Close until further notice, I'm afraid. <laughs> Just
2: gathering dust.
1: <laughs> yeah. This tequila's good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was a good job I'm on my last one before this gets any more weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my last place is not in London. It takes us to Manchester.
1: Oh, at least it's not Wales.
2: Well, Ooh. you must... You, I don't know, actually, you might not remember. <laughs> I remember,
1: do you remember... much? I remember very well. I was fully prepared to talk about our Manchester weekend uh, in relation to we this episode. Because I, I feel not. like... I mean, weirdly, the drink of Manchester was tequila. We just enjoyed mm-hmm. a lot of tequila when we were in Manchester for two days. Um, yeah. Yeah. I will preface it by saying that people should know the reason why we were in Manchester for two days was primarily so we could... (laughs) So rock and roll. (laughs) So rock and roll. It was primarily so we could go and watch Countdown being filmed. (laughs) (laughs) And while we were there, much like, I think, the rest of the Countdown audience, we were there to have a raging time on tequila.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We drank so much tequila the night before.
1: Yeah, should we recount the um the timeline?
2: Yes, um well, we arrived in Manchester at around midday, and we didn't really intend on having a wild one. I think we were gonna well we had a roast dinner as soon as we got there,
0: mm-hmm. standard. yeah,
2: so we had a roast dinner and then it was very much like, yeah, we're gonna have a few drinks, maybe we'll find like a pub quiz or something, just you know keep it small and sensible get back to the Airbnb, sleep, wake up tomorrow, absolutely smash countdown, and then we can get really messy.
1: That was exactly the plan. It was have a quiet pub night, check in at the Airbnb. What happened?
2: <laughs> I think you're probably better... Right, so what so happened? I have gaps. What? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what happened was, um, well, we went, we had... Um, we had a pint or two with our roast dinner. Then we went to a cocktail happy hour. Then, this I'm giving you the short version because this could go on. Then we went and did an escape room.
2: <laughs> oh my God, I've got the escape
1: room. And um, just briefly, the highlight of the escape room was we were doing very well at solving all the complicated puzzles. Like anything that was based on a code or a cryptic clue or whatever, We were there, we nailed it. Where we really (coughs) fell down, uh, where we hit a dead end, was we'd failed to realise that in the centre of the room we were trapped in, right in the middle on the floor, was a big, like, (laughs) duffel bag. And we hadn't touched it, or looked at it, or opened it, or anything. And there were several clues in that duffel bag. But we both because we'd come straight off the train, and we hadn't gone back to the Airbnb yet... We put our bags to the the side and presumed that that was the other person's bag just sitting in the middle of the room and left it. (laughs) So that was definitely the highlight of the escape room was when the woman like on the intercom had to go, do you want to try looking in the bag that's in the middle of the room? (laughs) And And there there was one more that was very similar to that, which is that we didn't ever try to use the door handle to open the door to escape. And that the was room. the second really obvious big clue that we missed. Cause we were waiting for something to automatically open and it was like, have you tried the door handle? So that was that was great. Then we went to um the pub quiz after that, because mm-hmm. our brains hadn't been abused enough. And that's where the tequila started. Um and yeah. because you said do you fancy a Craig David? And I looked at mm-hmm. you in befuddlement and then you explained.
2: Yes, a Craig David. Um, so it's pretty simple. It's a shot of tequila followed by a shot of pineapple juice. Not sipped, definitely shotted. Um, and it's called a Craig David because uh, it's surprisingly smooth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I tried really hard to discover the origins of this. Um, and. I've managed to trace it to I think about 2014. So it's about mm-hmm. 6 years old as a drink and there are several stories of this is Craig David's favorite drink versus what you just said. Um I don't know what the truth of it is. It cannot be uncovered, but it it's, it's emerged very much like a meme, I would say. It's like the meme of drinks. Yeah. It's
2: quite anyone nice. that anyone that tells me they don't like tequila when i'm bullying them into drinking tequila Mm -hmm. i'll force a craig david down them
1: the drink just just to clarify (laughs) so we had a couple of those while we're doing the quiz but then we did very well at the quiz and we won more craig davids (laughs) (laughs) so we i remember the
2: barman the barman got really excited because I o- I said, do you know what a Craig David is? Because sometimes you go to a bar and order a Craig yeah. David, and they're also like, what? And so when I said to the barman, do you know what a Craig David was? He got so excited. He was like, oh, yes, oh my god, do you want one? I'm like, yeah, at least four, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then we and then we won a round of drinks. Do you remember there was um, it was like a bonus round, and mm-hmm. I had to go up and memorize objects on a tray. So everyone from, one person from each (gasps) team had to go up and do a challenge. And the challenge was he showed you lots of different objects on a tray. And then you had 10 seconds to write down as many as you could. And I won. I
2: remember now.
1: So we got more Craig Davids in us. And that was the thing I think that tipped us over. was our superior knowledge and memory.
2: It definitely wasn't starting at midday.
1: (laughs) No. Um, How do you think you'd have fared if you were doing that challenge? Would we have had Craig Davids?
2: Terrible. I honestly, on di- on a good day, I I struggled to like remember what I had for lunch. <laughs> so no good. My my short term memory is genuinely worrying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we had that, and then now um... oh, then it gets hazy.
2: Didn't we go to a karaoke bar after that?
1: Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. We went to a Japanese karaoke bar. Um, and I say like specifically because, well, not only was it open really late, but in order to sing English songs at the karaoke bar, you had to put in foreign language. So you had to say, <laughs> I, want to, I want to see yeah. the foreign language songs. And then it came up with English language songs. Um, but that was really good fun. And I remember that it being was... relatively cheap. Because they said it, yeah. it's £20 to come and have a karaoke booth for two hours. And we were like, standard. And we got in there and we were like, well, how do we order drinks? And they said, well, the £20 bar tab you've just paid, you re- redeem it on this. And we were like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling us we've already put 20 quid of uh, booze behind the bar and we haven't had to pay for this karaoke. That's amazing. It was a really good place, wasn't it?
2: The karaoke, It was honestly the best karaoke bar I'd ever been to because yeah. it was like being in a spaceship. It was like this enormous touch screen to select all your songs and then I seem to remember there was like a really massive like TV as well for the mm. the lyrics and there was lots of strobe, not strobe lighting like LEDs yeah. and it was really cool in that.
1: So I'll speed this up. We <laughs> got back to the Airbnb about 3am, something like that um and it was one of those sort of put in a code to get your key from outside type of job we hadn't met the landlord before so that was another escape room moment <laughs> 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 where we had to figure out how to get into the house um which we did and then we woke up about four hours later and had to walk over to Salford Quays um grabbing some breakfast on the way to line up to get into countdown and we watched that all day
2: yeah. We must have smelled awful.
1: Well, it was full of old people, you know. Like, no one... (laughs) There's
2: a very different smell between old people smell and tequila.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, then, the reason I'm continuing the story is because there is a part two to the tequila um, adventures in Manchester, which is that after that, well, we went and did another pub quiz first, obviously, and then, um, and then we went back into central Manchester. Now, by this time, it was quite late. And we'd underestimated most restaurants' abilities to stay open past 11. And we were headed somewhere that closed. And we said, oh, does anyone... <laughs> speaking to the streets of Manchester, does anyone know anywhere that's going to be open that's going to do some cracking vegan junk food at this time of night? And we were given the information crazy pedros and yeah we went... now
2: that that yeah. was essentially like that lightning strike from the gods moment mm. for me in manchester
1: it was it really finding was. crazy pedros because this place is a great recommendation if you're a fan of tequila or you're a fan of pizza or you're a fan of panic searching for just general shelter at 2am in manchester <laughs> i a and, fan um, of
2: dogs they're dog friendly
1: they're dog friendly so they're in this basement it's very cool it's all you know painted graffiti decorated and everything but they have an excellent range of tequilas uh we discovered on their menu as well as some absolutely banging pizzas that were well it was obscene wasn't it
2: it was they also had that crazy natural sharing option Mm, where they serve nachos on a dustbin lid yeah
1: Mm. What, what I remember is that you went to the bar to order our foods. We both picked a pizza each. We are like, oh, let's have, I'll have this pizza, you have this pizza, we can share. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, try the different flavours. But you went and ordered the biggest size they had. and <laughs> Too the enormous. Woman, the woman at the bar was like, bitch, are you serious? <laughs> and you're like, yes. Yes. <laughs> We we were not prepared, were we?
2: No, I mean, it was brilliant for breakfast.
1: It was, yeah. We 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 took home a uh, like a a box, a doggy bag of our leftovers, took it back to the Airbnb and had it for breakfast. The end.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, now I want to go back to Manchester.
1: Mm. The moral of the story is: if you want uh, to experience some tequila, try Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> Or Mexico, whatever.
2: <laughs> but they might frown on you for doing Craig David's. Just go to Manchester. Yeah. I don't
1: I don't think Mexico City's heard of Craig David.
2: We should take it there. Blow their minds.
1: We should. We should. <laughs> Alrighty, is that it? Is that the end of our adventures?
2: That's it. I feel a little mm-hmm. bit queasy after relaying that Manchester story. <sighs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: And so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to get Craig David off my boik. Cheers, everybody.
0: Cheers. Wherever I may roam, or land or sea or fall, you can always hear me sing in the song, show me the way to go
2: home. All over your... Twat crotch.
1: Boik? <laughs> no.
0: Hmm... <laughs> um.